Lurid listeners, would you like a free audiobook? I do. <laughs> Me too. Follow us on Twitter at the KMQ, then tag us in a tweet. Tell us which KMQ episode is your favorite, and we'll send you the audiobook of your choice from our Audible library. But you'd better hurry. Some titles are going fast. Eroticism is important. It influences and energizes our entire human experience. Eroticism isn't sex. It's sexuality transformed by our imaginations. We encourage lurid listeners to cultivate eroticism, to play with it, smack it, and rub it down. We want you to enjoy yourselves, your partners, and your sexuality. You are entitled to your sexual self. This show is for adults only and contains erotic stories that sometimes feature provocative characters and intense themes and situations, spanning many literary genres including action-adventure, science fiction, romance, horror, fantasy, and paranormal. Please listen responsibly. Today in Pariah Part 3, Blood and Fury, we pick up the adventure right where Episode 2 left off, up in Tavares' helicopter, where Pariah finds herself in yet another predicament, as trusted members of Tavares' crew are suddenly committing mutiny. Stick around. After the story, Big Daddy and I are going to have a little conversation, you know, just let you guys know what's going on with us, what's up, what's down, where we've kind of come around to, and um, just kind of give you guys a heads up and let you know we love you. And we've appreciated all the emails that we've gotten. You know, we know you guys are hoping to get more stories out and, um, you know, just checking in. So we're just going to check in with you, too, after the story. Hey, hey, Lurid listeners, welcome back to the Kiss Me Quicks Erotica Podcast. This is your host, Rose Carraway, and joining me in the studio is Big Daddy Dave Carraway. Say hey, Big Daddy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. <laughs> been a minute. <laughs> it's been a long-ass minute. Yeah. We've missed you guys. It feels so good to be in here. How the hell has your pandemic been going? <laughs> Some ups and downs and turnaroundsies? We've definitely been feeling it, too. It's been uh, a long road. But we're so happy to connect back with you guys. Um, you know, we've got a hell of a story for you, and we're really excited and so happy to finally get it out to you guys. Uh, it's a big one. It's it's intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you it's know. intense. It's fun. And it, it really, you know... It's been tough this pandemic, right? And and it's been tough for Pariah too. And you know, I, it's definitely influenced the story. It's certainly part three. Um, it gets a little <laughs> okay. We got some choices to make, and um, Pariah's gonna get hers. I think she's gonna. It's gonna be rough, right? And then she's finally gonna. All right, fuck it. <laughs> I'm Just take like charge. us. <laughs> Just like right? us. Just like everyone that's suffering <laughs> yes. right now. That we're suffering. <laughs> But we're going to get ours when this is all done. Yes, and this is part of it, getting this story to you. Um, yeah, it's it's been a hell of a ride so far. And, and again, we're just happy to be back with you guys. And uh, man, we've got tons of episodes on the way. Like, we've really been chugging along. And I mean, 
we've there's a ton coming. We do. Um, and and like I said, this one is intense. So please do listen responsibly. If it's too intense, like I get it. You know, emotions are high right now, and sometimes you know you, you just can't handle it. <laughs> um, like it was very cathartic for me writing this, letting her just sort of live through all my fears and desires and uh, angst. <laughs> yeah. um, but if, if it's too much for you, um, I totally understand and won't be offended. Uh, come back to it later when you're ready. Yeah. Maybe after tomorrow or something. <laughs> yeah, or um, just wait. Like, we have more coming that are, yeah. aren't going to be Yeah, less we've got some <laughs> sweet romancy tales to yeah. wisp you away on yeah. and all that stuff. So yeah. hang in there, man. We feel you. We love you. <laughs> we totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, I need this edgy release, so I'm sure some of you out there do too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, well, I'm Pariah's about to let it rip. So, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. <laughs> but first, before our story begins, let me tell you about our latest audiobook. Inside, experience the breadth, inspiration, and excitement of superb erotic storytelling. Browse my card catalog. Find the perfect story to suit your mood, with subjects tantalizingly indexed to whet your appetite. Lose yourself in these 30 risque adventures, loaded with fabulous characters in provocative situations. Aphoristic and lively, these tales are perfect for a midday quickie or an evening kiss before bed. Do you have 20 minutes for a brazenly sexy jewelry heist? Or maybe take that once-in-a-lifetime cruise vacation and discover that mermaids really do exist. You can savor the heat rising in your cheeks as you confess your deepest desires to the town priest. Then finish off your evening with a run in Central Park, only to stumble upon a house made of gingerbread? The Sexy Librarian's Dirty 30 Volume 3, edited by Rose Carraway. Now available at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes. And now, Pariah Part 3, Blood and Fury, written by Rose Carraway. Scene 1. Pariah froze. Akagi swung her long bangs away from her eyes and shifted her aim from Tavares to Pariah. Put your weapons in the bag, sir, or I will kill her. Akagi's voice transmitted through Pariah's ill-fitting headset in a static-laden, nervous tone. Pariah was over, having guns pointed at her. But all she could do just then was hold the kitten as still as possible, in case Akagi's trigger finger got itchy. Jealousy radiated off of Akagi constantly. The woman was always a hot mess of emotions, but currently, so was the rest of Tavares's crew, including Tavares. Her helicopter man rode the delicate edge of lust and anger due to Akagi's unexpected betrayal. Pariah thought she had grown accustomed to the team's powerful chemical signals, 
but nothing could have prepared her for this particular situation. They hadn't been in the air for longer than 15 minutes before everyone's pheromones flooded the belly of the helicopter and Pariah's senses neared overload. Plus, there was a peculiar alkaline texture in the air that worried her. Pariah glanced over Akagi's small shoulder and noticed the pilot's Doppler radar flickering. Various neon colors glitched and swirled until they filled the screen. Pariah didn't know a lick about helicopters or hurricanes, but she was confident that the two did not play well together. This is a bad idea, Akagi, and you know it. Tavares's deep voice vibrated against her eardrums, rousting Pariah from her thoughts. Lust billowed from his pores in steady waves, and it stimulated Pariah's nipples into aching points that everyone could see. Despite the harness-style seatbelt that strapped Pariah into her seat, the oversized sweater Tammy had loaned her was now a useless puddle around her waist, and a coggy, well-trained soldier that she was cast glances at Pariah's exposed breasts so frequently it nearly stirred her libido into a frenzy. Remaining calm while being held at gunpoint was not an easy task. The kitten, who everyone had recently named Chopper, squirmed and clawed at her exposed skin incessantly, and everyone could see Tavares' growing discomfort. Pariah and her helicopter man were caught in a vicious feedback loop of desire, and Tavares' tense body language didn't hide the fact that his lust was intensifying. His headset's mic picked up a groan that escaped his tightly clenched teeth, and Pariah's cunt flexed at the erotic sound. She spared a glance his way and noticed immediately that his fangs were emerging. In such tight quarters, it wouldn't be long before the others felt the uncontrollable desire to fuck. All due respect, sir, but your condition makes you exempt from deciding what's good or bad for the rest of us. Akagi glanced at Pariah's tits and tried to appear as though she hadn't. Sitting between Tammy and the helicopter's right side door, Bennett held up his big, brawny hands in surrender. His seatbelt wasn't as tight as Pariah's, and he was able to lean forward. Whoa, girl, are you really selling us out to Hadler? Where's your loyalty? You, of all people, don't ever get to speak to me about loyalty. You just sat by while she vampirized your best friend. Akagi quickly undid her seatbelt and stood, slightly crouched in the space that separated the passengers from the cockpit, which put about six feet between her and Pariah. Smooth as silk, Akagi reached into her vest and pulled out a second handgun. She pointed it at Bennett. She saved my life and you know it. Tavares' words were slightly muffled, but his stern look at Bennett was enough to make the big man sit back in his seat. Akagi shook her head in denial, as she always did when the subject of Pariah came up. Please, sir, just put your weapons in the bag. Tammy sniffled into her microphone as she pressed her tear-streaked cheek against Bennett's muscled arm. Pariah felt a sudden pang of guilt. The poor girl didn't deserve to be in a rogue helicopter held at gunpoint and heading to what Pariah assumed was yet another mad scientist. So you pulling your weapons on us then? Crow chimed in. 
You, throwing in with that asshat of a pilot and making new deals behind our backs. That's your idea of loyalty? Hadler swore to me she would put Tavares back to normal, Akagi said defensively. There's no good that can come out of a goddamn mutiny at 5,000 feet in the air, Akagi, Tavares shouted. Pariah thought her head would split like a melon. When she glanced over, more than a dribble of blood had slithered its way down his chin. The sharp points of his fangs had punctured his lower lip. Tavares unbuckled his harness and reached down. He picked up the duffel bag Akagi had kicked over and then propped it open on his lap. Pariah's heart ached as she watched her helicopter man begin disarming himself. Hate to interrupt things, but it looks like our ride is going to get a little bit bumpy. There was a pause, and then the pilot added, Best we hurry up and get those weapons secured, babe. Not two seconds later, winds buffeted the right side of the helicopter. Tammy screamed into her headset's microphone as the aircraft dropped several feet and then canted left. Centrifugal force sucked Pariah into her seat, and all she could do was clutch the kitten to her chest, where it proceeded to shred the tops of her tits. The scent of blood filled the air. Scene 2 Pariah's bloodied tits shook every which way as their pilot, Casey, raced the storm. Once she'd caught her breath, Pariah looked down to assess the damage. Claw marks adorned her chest and then slowly healed. But the moment things got bumpy, the kitten shredded her tits all over again. Its white fur absorbed most of her blood, causing its entire underside to be drenched. Tavares suffered. He'd noticed the blood, too, and his unimaginably blue eyes quickly took on a fevered look. A slow realization settled deep into Pariah's bones. All the fear she'd experienced thus far, all the lust, none of it compared to the passion that currently held Tavares prisoner. Pariah suddenly remembered. When she'd asked how the team had found her, Akagi had said, He sniffed you out even though they'd flown in by helicopter and that Pariah had been miles away, Tavares had found her because of her blood. And now, as she bled in the belly of his helicopter, Tavares' bloodlust took residence. Pariah's ill-fitted headset bounced forward as another round of turbulence hit. Storm winds slammed against the side of the aircraft and Bennett was slung hard against the right side door panel. He adjusted his headset and growled, Damn it, Casey, can't you fly this thing? The pilot cursed, and they all felt him maneuver the helicopter out of the storm's path. Pariah's headset bounced further forward on her head and then blessedly slipped off, clattering onto the metal-grated floor at her bare feet. Akagi braced herself, but her guns remained annoyingly leveled on Pariah. I can't shake this fucker, Casey announced over the radio. Pariah heard him from both the cockpit and from her fallen headphones. The helicopter pitched hard left and then spun, and Tammy screamed against Bennett's arm. Pariah felt sick to her stomach, but she held on to the kitten as it went into another clawing frenzy, slicing open fresh wounds into her sticky cleavage. On her left, Tavares groaned. The man she loved was not okay. 
Scene 3 Sir? Akagi asked, her voice shaking. Tavares licked his lips, then flinched as fresh blood slid down his chin and dripped onto his camouflage shirt. He tossed the devil bag over to Crow, too pained to respond. Bennett peeled Tammy off of his arm and glanced over, concern etched in his eyes. Lust ripped through Pariah, and Tavares was getting hit by the full force of it. She could see his cock straining against the front of his camouflage pants. But irritation surged within her, too, as she held the kitten away from her chest once more. As the kitten tried to free itself of her grip, Pariah considered letting the animal go, let it fend for itself, but when it came down to it, she couldn't. She worried that it would get trampled, or worse, Akagi might shoot it. Casey banked the helicopter hard left, and this time Tammy didn't scream. Instead, she adopted a new survival technique. She tore open her big purse and threw up into it. Bennett wrapped his big arm around her shoulders after she wiped her lips and shook his head. It took a while, but Crow eventually divested himself of his small, personal arsenal once the pilot got the helicopter back under control. It was unbelievable how much artillery the man carried on his person. Even Tammy's jaw dropped, though she was still terribly green around the gills. The last items that Crow placed into the duffel bag were two grenades. When he finished, he set the bag down at his feet and then slid it over to Akagi. Keeping a gun pointed at Pariah, she picked up the heavy bag and tossed it behind her onto the empty co-pilot seat. Then she leveled both guns at Tammy. There's another bag under your seat. I want you to hand it to Bennett nice and easy. As Tammy let her feet slide down off her seat, Bennett suddenly lunged. But Akagi was ready. She fired twice, sending the kitten into another panic. Before Pariah could react, a bullet tore through her right hand and her chest. Another bullet went into her head. Scene 4 Mechanical vibrations reverberated through her body. Then there came the invigorating scent of blood, and Pariah focused her senses on it. Her own rich, coppery scent enveloped her, and just below that, she determined that two others were bleeding. Just who, she couldn't tell. Her mental processes were foggy, felt incomplete. She had no concept of how much time had passed, but eventually she understood that someone was dying. Her head and chest pained her greatly, as did her right hand. She struggled with consciousness as the process of healing continued. Coming back alive, she thought. Her extremities tingled. That was good. Electrical impulses fired off in her head as synapses and brain tissue reconnected and regrew. 
It was an excruciating process that made her want to scream to relieve the pain, but she couldn't work her vocal cords yet. Her world was darkness and pain and silence. She suffered, mute, as her sternum bones fused their lengths back into their proper positions, and then the muscle fibers of her obliterated heart wove back into place. Something foreign, deep inside her head, moved. It was small, metallic. She felt the object backing out, and it was a sickening sensation. But as the crucial nerve endings brought back the connection between her body and mind, Pariah could wiggle her toes and her fingers. She opened her eyes. She knew that she blinked, but her world remained dark. Slowly, a fluorescent glow blossomed and her vision returned, just in time to see the small, spent round tumble down and land between her blood-stained breasts, next to the kitten's bloodied paws. A man's voice echoed distantly in her memory banks. An image of Dr. Frank flashed in her mind's eye. She could survive a bullet to the head. As muscle control returned, Pariah felt her lips turn down and her throat tighten, and then her heart took its first beat. Against her chest, the kitten stared up at her, its golden eyes lifeless. The cold stickiness of the kitten's blood-soaked fur brought her attention to her right hand. It had healed, but tragically, the kitten's obliterated spine had not. Pariah breathed in her first full breath as her sense of hearing returned next. With it came the sound of the helicopter's rotors and engine, and Tavares's soothing voice. It rolled over her skin like a salve. He and Akagi were arguing. Pariah shifted her gaze. It took several seconds before she could focus on the objects and people around her. Akagi still occupied the small space between the cockpit and passenger area. Pariah summoned her fangs and they quickly emerged. She noticed that Akagi's eyes were red and puffy, as though the woman had been crying. Her guns were nowhere in sight. The sound of an anxious whimper pulled Pariah's attention to the right. Tammy was leaned over Bennett, pressing her hands over wounds in his stomach. Blood flowed in dark rivulets down her forearms and onto her light-colored pants. Pariah's heart fluttered. She closed her eyes, flexed her senses. Faster than expected, she locked onto Bennett's distinctive heartbeat. She listened intensely. His pulse was weak. Her big bear of a man was dying. Hadler isn't going to help us, Tavares urged, pain evident in his voice. For God's sake, she's going to poke and prod me just like she's going to do to Pariah. Pariah shifted her gaze back toward Akagi. The air was heavy with the woman's spicy fear. A warmth spread over Pariah as her predatory response kicked into high gear, and on its heels came the bloodlust. Scene 5 I 
knew you'd be back. Though she knew he suffered, Tavares was a sight to behold. The length of his forearms had been bound to his armrests by what looked like dozens of zip ties. And yet, holding Akagi's throat in her tight grip felt so much more satisfying to Pariah just then. She yanked the headset off the woman's head and tossed it onto the floor. I only wanted to help, she choked. Pariah, honey, you have to help Ben. Pariah turned. Tammy still pressed her hands over his wounds, but Bennett's blood continued to flow. I couldn't trust myself. There's too much blood. Pariah, hurry. I can't hardly think straight. Given that she'd just come back from the dead, Pariah wasn't sure if she could even help. The effort it had taken to unbuckle herself, stow the kitten in the overhead compartment, and then get to Wakagi, all before the woman could draw her guns on her again, had given Pariah a terrible headache. She needed blood desperately. Bennett, she said. Tears blurred her vision. Yeah, I'm hanging in there, but only by a cunt hair. Bennett tried to laugh. You, Pariah said, looking Akagi directly in the eyes. Sit down and don't move. Akagi flinched, but lowered herself obediently back into her seat. Pariah glanced over her shoulder. Crow's left arm bled, but he otherwise seemed physically fine. His wrists were zip-tied to his seat's metal frame high above his head. In each hand, Pariah saw that he held a grenade. Crow smiled crookedly. Don't worry, I won't let us blow up. Bennett coughed and blood spluttered from his mouth. Pariah rushed to him, carefully pulled the tab of his utility vest's zipper. Better go sit by Crow, Tammy girl. Tavera said. His grip on his armrests tightened when Tammy bumped one of his knees as she made her way toward Crow. Pariah knew that it was Tavares's willpower that kept him in his seat. The zip ties did nothing but make everyone else feel better. Pariah tucked her long, blood-stained hair behind her ears and then gently pushed the panels of Bennett's vest aside so she could get a better look at his wounds. It was her turn to grimace as she shook away images of what she imagined her injuries must have looked like. They'd been friends for a long time, Tavares and Bennett. Pariah knew as much. But when she'd given Tavares the gift of her blood, he'd been unconscious. Bennett was fully awake and very aware that he was dying. While she didn't want her helicopter man to lose his best friend, she wanted Bennett to make his own choice. His eyes fluttered open, but his breathing remained shallow. Pariah felt his calloused hand reaching for hers. She didn't mean to hurt anyone, he said. But she did. She hurt someone I love. Bennett smiled weakly and his eyes closed. Bennett? The only response Pariah got was a light squeeze of her hand. She slashed open the meaty part of her forearm. Bennett, I need you to tell me, she said. Bennett opened his eyes, and even through his blood-stained whiskers, she could see his lips tighten. Go ahead, he said. Scene 6 
Bennett stirred, but he wasn't conscious yet. Feeling sluggish, Pariah crawled to Tavares and spread his knees so she could fit between them. She reached for his neck and pulled him down for a kiss. They both gasped for breath. They both needed more. But after Pariah unbuttoned and unzipped his pants, she left his eagerly protruding cock untouched. She also left the zip ties in place. Even in her feeble state, she still enjoyed the way the thick black plastic bit into his tanned, sweaty skin. Tavares's heavy-lidded blue eyes shone brightly as he stared down at her, wanting more than Pariah knew she could give. She looked over her shoulder toward Akagi. You've been the only woman on the team for some time now, haven't you? Pariah said. I took him away from you, didn't I? Akagi couldn't hear anything but helicopter noises, Pariah knew, but she said the words anyway, if for any reason, to convince herself that she was about to make the right decision. Akagi wiped her teary eyes and then folded her hands in her lap. The woman sat so erectly, as though listening to a teacher at the head of a classroom, that Pariah felt the urge to violently shake her, ruin her perfect posture. A zip tie suddenly snapped and Pariah beckoned to Akagi. But the woman hesitated. She looked over at Bennett and her lips trembled. Pariah beckoned her once more and finally, Akagi nodded and then stood. Bennett had taken a lot of her blood. When he awoke, his bloodlust would likely match Tavares's. While there was no way that Akagi could satisfy Tavares, Pariah, and Bennett, the petite woman would have to be enough, at least until the helicopter finally landed. Come here, Akagi. Your captain needs you. Pariah motioned for Akagi to hurry up. Crow and Tammy watched on as Akagi got down onto her knees beside Pariah. Her swollen red eyes looked up. You love your captain, don't you? Now she could hear Pariah. Akagi nodded. You were willing to betray him to help him, weren't you? Akagi took a ragged breath and nodded again. Fresh tears spilled down her cheeks. Pariah moved aside and placed Akagi's small hands around Tavares's swollen erection. Loyalty such as yours means everything, Akagi. Look at him, Pariah said, and Akagi did. I'll do whatever you say, Pariah. Whatever they need, I'll do it, Akagi said. And with both hands, she stroked Tavares's cock, spreading his precum and licking it from his tip. Tell him, Pariah urged, hearing Bennett finally coming too. I love you, sir, Akagi said, taking him deep into her mouth. I know. Tavares's bangs flashed, and he growled, lifting his hips and tipping his head back. I've always known. Bennett sat straight as an arrow in his seat and looked around. Quickly, at Akagi's ear, Pariah said, it's time. She slipped her fingers around Akagi's throat again, reveling in the powerful sensation it brought as the woman sucked Tavares's cock. Bennett will need to fuck you too, Akagi. Neither of them will be gentle. Neither will they be kind. They will take from you what they need, and you will give it freely as payment for your betrayal. Pariah waited, letting her words sink in, reveling in how well Akagi sucked cock. 
the woman's only response was to take Tavares deeper. Satisfied, Pariah reached down into the front of Akagi's pants, her fingers sliding between the woman's profoundly wet folds. Until they're seated. Do you understand? Akagi sucked and slurped and nodded. Scene 7 God, I'm so fucking hard I can knock down a tree with this thing, Bennett growled, pushing himself to the edge of his seat and grabbing Pariah. His tongue played over his newly developed fangs before he hurriedly removed his boots and pants. He all but ripped off his ruined vest and shirt. He pulled Pariah in for a kiss that had Pariah thinking her lungs would burst before she was allowed to breathe again. Then Bennett stood his hulking frame too big for the small space. He looked around the passenger area almost frantically until finally deciding to shove Pariah against the helicopter's right side door. How he made it work was beyond her, but with her tits mashed against the thick bulletproof window and her hips digging into the metal door, the how didn't matter. What mattered was the anticipation. Pariah scratched ten long grooves into the safety glass, waiting for Bennett to shove his cock into her, but he didn't. Instead, he slid his warm rod between her thighs and moaned promises against her neck and shoulders. He swore his love to her over and over as he thrust. He promised to protect her with his life as he sucked her flesh between his teeth without breaking her skin. He told her he wanted nothing more than to worship her feet until the day he died. The length of his big, heavy body pressed against her backside, and Pariah reached her hand back, clutched a handful of his thick, wiry beard. She pulled until his fangs scratched against her neck. I don't ever want to hurt you, Bennett breathed. But at times like this, I want pain. Don't ever forget that, okay, big guy? Her breath fogged up the window. That's what'll make me come. Bennett moved her messy, blood-stained hair out of the way, and Pariah arched against him, rubbed her ass up and down his shaft, readying herself. Releasing her fingers from his beard, Bennett pushed her hand down between her legs until his cock filled her hand. He fucked into their combined, tight grip, but when she tried to position herself for his entry, he slammed both of her palms flat against the dewy glass and chuckled against her ear. Stay, he said. Bennett cupped her breasts. He squeezed them, and Pariah's cunt ached to be filled. But still, the big man held her pinned, forcing her lust to come to heel. You're toying with me, she groaned, and when Bennett's whiskered lips smiled against her neck, Pariah smiled too. It's what makes me come, he said. Pariah thought her pounding heart might shatter the windowpane if he didn't fuck her soon. Bennett set the sharp points of his fangs over the artery he desired and Pariah steadied her breathing, tried to let go of the urgency that rushed through her veins. There she goes, Bennett said, 
He worked his cock up and down the length of her crack, planting kisses over her skin. He nudged the tip of his wet cock against her anus over and over, until Pariah finally relaxed her body, until the air had left her lungs and her head buzzed. Bennett sank his fangs into her skin and filled his mouth with her blood. With the side of her face smashed against the window, Pariah let out a satisfied groan. The throaty noise was laden with love. She could feel it all around her. She knew in that moment that Bennett loved her. Finally, the big man slammed his cock inside her pussy, so deep and so hard that white specks filled her vision. She thought her left cheekbone might fracture against the helicopter's window. Bennett penetrated her in and in and in. Pariah heard the telltale sound of bone cracking, but it healed rapidly and wasn't any discomfort. She felt euphoric as Bennett drank her blood by the mouthful. His cock stretched her insides, pushed her to her limits, and she gave herself over for him. Bennett shoved his strong, calloused fingers over her clit, and he strummed, and Pariah came until her legs gave way, and Bennett held her pinned. He fucked her through one orgasm, and into another, and another. He drank greater gulps of her blood than even Tavares had the first time, Pariah thought. Bennett's release was a breathy one, a crushing one, and Pariah could hardly breathe. When his cock slid free, he turned her around to face him. I'm yours now too, Pariah. He slid his hand between her legs, gathered up their spent cum, and then smeared it over her right breast. Don't you ever forget it. But they weren't finished, not by a long shot. Tavares' face glistened with sweat by the time Pariah got to him. Akagi worked her tongue through the cum that painted his testicles, and Pariah couldn't remember if she'd ever seen his cock so big. Akagi's hand appeared dwarfed by its size. We're close, her helicopter man panted. He jerked his head toward the left window. I can almost see the helipad. Pariah nodded, then quickly turned to Crow and Tammy. Her head buzzed still. She really needed blood, but she kept her fangs tucked behind her lips and placed a shaky hand on Crow's shoulder for balance. He looked up, startled out of his own haze. Tammy's pants were strewn haphazardly on the floor next to Crow's chair, but her button-up plaid shirt remained on, though she must have ripped it open herself because Crow's wrists were still zip-tied to the metal frame above his head. Pariah had forgotten that the man was still holding a grenade in each hand. Tammy's slender legs hung over the armrests as she humped Crow wildly, throwing her head back with abandon. She rode him with such enthusiasm, she didn't look anywhere near ready to stop. For the love of Christ, Pariah, Crow panted. Long strands of his curly golden hair lay sweat-slicked against his neck. Tammy suddenly screamed an outrageous orgasm, and then her head flopped dramatically forward onto Crow's shoulder. That was her fourth one. How many times can she... Can I fucking go? Casey's gotta be feeling this too, right? Even though the door's shut? If he starts beating his meat up there, we're all fucked, right? And not in the good way. 
Tammy's hips began rocking again, and when her lips found Crow's, Pariah watched him readjust his grip on the grenades. Tammy worked herself and Crow toward their next orgasms. Bennett wrapped his hand around Akagi's long black braid twice and then dragged her roughly back. Crow's right, he said, as Pariah tried to clear her head. If they're feeling it this bad, Casey can't be too far behind. Bennett sat down, forced Akagi back down onto her knees, and then rubbed his still hard, still cum-slicked cock across the woman's lips, over and over. He spoke to her, but Pariah hadn't the energy to hear what he said. Whatever it was was between the two of them. Besides, by the looks of things, Akagi seemed to be responding well. Her mouth was open and her tongue hung out for each pass Bennett made with his cock. Pariah turned and hooked her fingers under the first few zip ties that bound Tavares' forearms to the armrests. She plucked the plastic bands in one fell swoop, but it took significant effort. Tavares pulled her on top of him so fast her head snapped back. He penetrated her without preamble and Pariah barely found the strength to wrap her arms around his neck and hold on. Her helicopter man had restrained himself for so long. She would let him have her however he needed. Tavares snarled when he sucked her right nipple into his mouth, but he quickly sank his fangs into her other breast instead. He drank greedily and came quickly, almost angrily, but he was unquenched. He fucked her and sucked her, and Pariah felt her body's energy reserves weakening further. Her orgasms came, nonetheless. Ben! She finally croaked. Bennett was there in a flash, panting, his hairy, muscular chest scratchy against her sweaty back. His presence gave her strength, but both men wanted her. The tug-of-war didn't last as Tavares would not allow her to go too far from him, his fangs firmly latched to her breast. Pariah cried out. Tavares growled against her breast as his cum spilled into her. Bennett's arms squeezed the breath from her lungs as his cum splashed against her lower back. Crow let out a garbled sound as Tammy wailed her ecstasy. The edges of Pariah's vision darkened, but she heard a voice. It came again, and through the thick haze, she recognized that it was Bennett. He was shaking her, and he was yelling, Pariah! Her stomach rolled, and slowly she realized that the helicopter was spinning. Pariah, you have to stop! Her bloodlust had them all firmly in its grip. Someone slapped her cheek, and Pariah bared her fangs. It was a cocky. Pariah could smell Tavares on her breath. She forced herself to open her eyes and saw Akagi's brown eyes staring back at her. Please! Akagi's skin shone with sweat. Please, let me take him for you. Please, Pariah! Tavares's blood-drunk eyes rolled to the right. No! He slurred, his long fangs still halfway embedded in Pariah's swollen nipple. Bennett's bushy whiskers scratched against Pariah's shoulder, his body so heavy against hers. They were both fucking into her pussy, and Pariah didn't ever want them to stop. Damn it, Taff, she has to, Bennett breathed, but he still fucked into her. Pariah wanted to stop. She wanted her men to not let her stop. But regardless of what they all wanted, 
Pariah disengaged from her men and nearly fell as the helicopter dipped and swerved. Akagi caught her, just barely. There was only one decision to make. Tavares wound Akagi's braid around his fist and looked up, his bloodlust still unsated. We need to open the doors. Scene 8 Pariah ripped the security door from its framing and then leaned heavily into the cockpit. What the fuck? Startled, Casey released his erection and grabbed hold of the helicopter's control stick, slathering it with goo. The aroma of spent masculinity saturated the air inside the small space. Cum dribbled down the helicopter's Doppler screen and was splattered generously over the instrument panel. You need to open the doors, now! While he steadied the helicopter, Casey's shocked gaze oscillated between Pariah's blood-stained nudity and his exposed cock. What the fuck have you done to me, you fucking abomination? The man's expression twisted into what appeared to be disgust. But as he was hit by the full force of Pariah's bloodlust, he reached for his cock again. Lust brewed within him, just like with the others. However, as he stroked himself with his free hand, it wasn't enough to staunch the hatred that oozed from his pores. What had she done to him? Pariah met Casey's hard gaze, unblinking. In that moment, a frightening, sinister desire rose within her. More than anything, she yearned for the pilot's death. She wanted to smash her fist through his face, drink every last drop of sanguine fluid that flowed from her would-be man-chalice, as though she were a queen reveling in conquest. Fortunately, concern for her loved ones and self-preservation held her in check, but only by a scrap. Instead of killing Casey, Pariah clutched the cockpit's doorframe, promising herself that she would get hers as soon as they landed. Open the fucking doors, she screamed, metal creaking and contorting in her grip. Or you're not going to know which stick actually flies this thing. What about a coggy? Casey snarled back, pumping more vigorously. Did you hurt her? He moaned. Oh... Pariah's lips pulled into a slow smile. You have to check with Tavares and Bennett. She's with them now. The pilot's eyes shot open. Pariah leaned closer. Akagi has chosen to atone for her mistakes. The sooner you get us back on the ground, the sooner you can hop back there and see if they've forgiven her. Pariah saw Casey's sidearm and quickly pulled it from its holster. She cocked it, aimed it at his dick. Now open the damn doors and get us landed! Casey flinched and released his cock. He reached sticky fingers overhead and flipped two switches. There came a low, mechanized sound, and then the briny hurricane winds whistled into the aircraft, effectively soaking everyone with pelting rain and clearing out pariahs and snaring pheromones. Powerful vortex even swallowed up Tammy's high-pitched screams of ecstasy. 
But just as relief dared to settle in, Pariah suddenly remembered that the poor girl wasn't in her seat. She was loose and fucking crow like he was her own tethered hobby horse. Tavares and Bennett would keep Akagi safe, she was certain, but Crow's wrists were still zip-tied above his head. If the ride got any more bumpy, Tammy might get shook loose. By sheer willpower, Pariah turned away from the miserable pilot and stepped back into the passenger area, where she saw Bennett's beautifully round, rain-slicked butt cheeks flexing as he embedded his cock deep into Akagi's ass. Tavares's dark hair whipped wildly against his forehead, his face relaxed in a way that told her he'd just come into Akagi's mouth. On her right, Tammy appeared to be riding the tail end of her orgasm and was already beginning to show signs that she was coming down from her sex frenzy. Let's get you strapped back in. Pariah squinted her eyes against her lashing hair and the needle-like rain. She shoved Casey's pistol into a random storage compartment overhead and helped Tammy dismount Crow's lap. Crow breathed deeply and looked around, becoming more aware of his surroundings. He looked both relieved and disappointed. But then he smiled when he looked up and saw that he still held the two grenades. Tavares and Bennett continued to fuck Akagi at both ends, but their pace slowed, less urgent. Akagi's slender, bruised legs trembled as she sucked and gagged through her final orgasm, her small hands clutching the front of Tavares's drenched camo shirt. Bennett's massive, waterlogged beard whipped in the wind as he slowly backed out of her ass. Pariah helped Tammy into the nearest seat and then latched her seatbelt for her. My pants and underwear flew away, Tammy shouted over the storm and engine noise. She was naked from the waist down. This whole thing was like really, really crazy, right? Yes, Pariah cinched Tammy's seatbelt tighter. And then after a moment of uncertainty, she embraced the woman in a heartfelt hug. It's totally been a crazy ride, but it's almost over, okay? Tammy avoided eye contact, but she nodded and then began rebuttoning her plaid shirt. Tavares and Bennett had disengaged themselves from Akagi and were helping her into the middle seat between them. They all three looked up at Pariah. Marked by Tavares and Bennett, both inside and out, Akagi no longer reeked of jealousy or even fear. She seemed content. And her men had had their fill. Though the way they both looked at her just then, Pariah could tell that they sensed that something about her was off. Outside, the storm gradually began to clear, and the rocky coastline came into view. Jagged, monolithic black mountains loomed on the right, and the helicopter circled tight left and decreased speed. Pariah stood up as far as the passenger area would allow to get her first look at Shelley Hadler's lab. It sat neatly against the bottom of the cliffs like some sleek industrial castle. Slowly, they descended toward the helipad flashing at the center of the immense structure. Pariah turned toward the cockpit, but Tavares grabbed her wrist. Wait, he said. His tight grip made her heart flutter. 
but Pariah would not be deterred. She turned to see her helicopter man's concern. Somehow, he knew what she was about to do. She saw it in the sharpness of his unimaginably blue eyes, and she loved him all the more for it. I'm not stopping you. I just want you to be sure. Pariah looked at Bennett and then at Akagi, Crow, and finally Tammy. She nodded. I'm sure. Nobody fucks with my people and gets away with it. Pariah waited until after they'd safely landed before making her move. In one swift movement, she straddled him, seated herself onto his cock, and was fucking him, pulling his seed deep into her cunt. Casey had no time to understand what was happening. Pariah reveled as he erupted inside of her, again and again. Over and over he climaxed, while his life slowly withered. But this wasn't the usual sort of bloodlust. This was revenge. Payback for pitting Akagi against her own crew, and for Bennett's terrible injuries. Pariah took Casey's life because he was the reason why she'd very nearly lost her own, and why they were now landed in this strange laboratory by the sea. Pariah groaned against the gash in the pilot's neck as she drank, relishing the meaty convulsions against her lips and tongue. And he struggled through his last breaths. His heart had stopped beating some time ago, but only when his essence had fully left his body and rejuvenated hers did Pariah finally let his flimsy cock slide from her cunt and his lifeless body slump down into the pilot's chair. Blustery coastal winds carried the aroma of strangers into the cockpit. Pariah turned and looked through the helicopter's windshield. A group of people cautiously approached, seven men dressed in military garb and one woman dressed in a dark suit-skirt combo. Their weapons were drawn, but not held at the ready. Pariah's lips pulled back into a snarl. Tavares had told her about the Hadler woman and him, and Pariah's feelings still hadn't changed. She still wanted to scratch out the woman's eyes. They hurried to get dressed and armed, ready to exit the helicopter together, while Hadler and her squad waited a fair distance from the aircraft. So far, the woman didn't seem too threatening. Akagi was in her seat, just finishing up tying her combat boots. She offered Pariah a half-smile and then began redoing her long braid. Just let me do the talking, Tavares announced, tucking his sidearm into its holster. Akagi looked up and responded, Yes, sir. Crow nodded. Bennett said, Always do when it comes to your ex. Pariah wanted to go to him, but now wasn't the time. Soon, though, she thought. Changing the subject, the big man held up his ruined vest. Damn, I really love this thing. Pariah noticed Akagi cringe when she saw the bullet holes and bloodstains. At least you're not still holding live explosives, Crow grumbled. Akagi perked up. Oh, I still have the pins in my pocket. Here. Tammy reached under her former seat and came up empty-handed. I guess only my stuff blew out of the helicopter. Crow looked around. We've got to have something you can wear around here. 
Everyone had clothes on except for Pariah. Doubting that it was still there, she reached deep into the overhead compartment where she'd stashed Tammy's oversized knitted sweater and the dead kitten. Surprisingly, her fingers touched the sweater's thick threads. If you don't mind the stains, you can wear this, she said. As she pulled the garment down, a small pair of gold eyes stared at her. Pariah froze. The eyes blinked. The kitten poked its furry white head out of the compartment, and then it leaped down. Pariah caught the animal automatically. It meowed, then placed its forepaws onto her chest. The kitten shook the length of its little blood-stained body, and just at its shoulder blades, a pair of small black wings unfurled and then stretched and flapped. Crow's jaw dropped. Holy shit! Chopper? All right, you guys, we hope you enjoyed the show. That was Pariah Part 3, Blood and Fury, written by me, Rose Carraway. You guys can follow me, if you like, on Twitter, at Rose Carraway. If you aren't following the show on Twitter already, do so now so you don't miss out on any of our audiobook giveaways. Subscribe to our newsletter at thekissmequicks.com and get our sexy episodes delivered right to your inbox. If you want more sexy stories and would like to support the show, go to Amazon, iTunes, or Audible and search Rose Carraway. Remember to leave us a review so that more Lured listeners can find us. Audio production by Big Daddy, Dave Carraway. The KMQ would like to thank the following musical artists. Kai Engel, Nylor, Cloud Kicker, Coin Locker Kid, Maiden, and our feature credit song, Without a Doubt, by Drake Stafford. And sound effects help by Lauren Zozu and Just Kidding. KMQ introduction music by Vivich. The Kiss Me Quick's Erotica Podcast is a Stupid Fish production and is brought to you by The Sexy Librarian's Dirty 30, Volume 3. Stupid fish. All right, so let's talk to our our lurid, li- our lovely lurid listeners, our Uh-oh. sexy libidinous <laughs> lurid listeners. Um, you know, as we mentioned before at the beginning of the episode, Big Daddy and I just kind of want to reach out and and um, let you guys know kind of what's been going on behind the scenes. Um, a lot's been kind of going on, um, and um, you know, this is really for. All those lurid listeners who've been there for a really long time and who've reached out and emailed and voicemailed and, you know, texted, all those things, um, you know, it's a lot to respond to and just in the mix of what's been going on, almost impossible at times. So this is our attempt to answer all those questions. What's going on? Um, how can we, for example, get our relationship like yours and Big Daddy's? How can I get my wife interested in this kink or my husband to fulfill this fetish of mine? Or, um, you know, the next biggest one is when's the next episode? So our attempt to answer those questions are happening now. So um, 
thank you for being here and uh, be patient. Um, we're, you know, we're kind of going to bear our souls a little bit. And um, we know that you podcasters are actually more generous than any other listening media out there. And generally speaking, we believe smarter. So um, we think that this <laughs> <agree>. is, <laughs> we think that, um, you know, you'll appreciate this moment. Um, and um, so, yeah, we're we're going to answer some questions for you. Well, the two big ones. Yeah. Like those two. There's only, we really get, we get plenty of different questions, but that, those are the two biggest. So. Yeah. How do we get our relationship yeah. like yours? So. Um, so. <laughs> well, I think. A, those are both actually quite uh, difficult questions <laughs> for both of us. I know that does, they don't sound very difficult. And, um, yeah. But they're big. And maybe one of the reasons why it's been hard for us to answer those questions, both of those. So I think that's what we're doing. Yeah. So. And there's no one easy answer, quick no. solution type thing. So, um, you know, the first step is, hey, you're listening to this show. This show is here to help, you know, our new big intro is cultivating eroticism. And we feel like among the first steps, like that's got to be one of the first steps. And it's not going to work unless you're both legit on board. If you're if you both see, you know, eroticism and sex and those things um, as a major component to your lives and your partnership, um, then it's not going to work unless you're both there and willing to work for that. So listening to this show is a great start. You know, I know we offer a lot of different types of stories, so not all of them are going to work for both of you, um, but maybe there's one partner who's willing to kind of sift through and find one that they think their partner might like yep. and then introduce it to them. Right. Which might set up, which I think is actually the very, very first step is communication, right? That's, you got to start there. You have to decide what, what you and your partner are interested in, in cultivating, mm-hmm. right? You might be interested in cultivating it. Maybe your partner isn't. Uh, maybe there's some communication that can happen to get to the bottom of that. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that, that is probably the very first step is start the conversation. And if you can't even start that, that gets tough. Well, and maybe some new things will be brought to light and maybe the conversation temporarily, that one specifically has to get put on, you know, a side burner for a bit in order to figure some other stuff out so that you can get there. Um, You know, we, we are firm believers that eroticism is a, part of us and we yes. have to fulfill it one way or another yeah it's coming out it's, somewhere it's what makes us complete humans um and in order to be healthy about it we got to be able to talk about it yeah. and and meet each other man halfway yeah. is best right um so yeah so it, it's going to take some work um and then maybe that's kind of going to lead to well how, how can we do that if you're not putting out regular episodes? Well, we've we've been, you know, experiencing some things. Well, I, I just, before we go on to that, yeah. I just want to say, you know, the other key, like for us anyway, one of the key components is have a plan. Like once you've, if you both can get yourselves on that same page, if you both can say, yes, I'd like to cultivate eroticism in our relationship, have a plan. Don't just say that into the air. I want to do this and Act then just and, and, and move on with your life as if 
well, we're done with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we both agree. Yeah. Uh, dun, dun, dun. No. You, <laughs> yeah. Y'all have to actually have a plan. <laughs> like you actually have to set a date, a time, what, when, where, and how. Like, like we've been doing date night, yes. especially because of this pandemic. You know, we've got kids who live with us and they're no longer in school. They're yeah. doing school at home. So we are. <laughs> and they're not little. So it's. It's very obvious. Yeah, they're they're older teens. They're young adults. They're actually yeah. getting ready to leave the nest here soon. Oh my god! Um, but so it's hard to to act out some of our more you know randy delights yes. when they're home. So we've decided a while ago, um, and we've been doing this for a little while. Is we have our little date night, our date day. Uh, we're we're actually leaving the house, and you know you have to be careful because of it. The pandemic right now, you've got to be clean and you know make sure everything is sanitized. But we go to a hotel, and yeah, we um, find good clean ones. Yeah, that and, seem like and, they're taking it seriously, and then we bring our own supplies as well. And we just paint the walls with. <laughs> No, we, 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 we let down That's our later. hair. We, we revel in one another and, and talk about whatever and comfort and touch and uh, all those things yeah. get to happen there. We get our adult time away from the home. So we totally understand how hard it is for couples with kids living at home right now. It's almost been a whole year yeah. that we've been on this lockdown. It's friggin' hard. Yeah, it's you been know, tough for everyone. Not only have you not been able to go away to your job, but now you're both at home. And now on top of that, the Family. kids are too. Yeah, it's tough. Jeez. <laughs> you got to find a way to carve that shit out as much as you can. Like, even if you can't get away like we're doing, and we're not doing this every week. We're not getting out, but we're... We're trying to get there at least every other week. We're trying to get out. Um, uh, you got to find if it's once a month. It's that's up to you, right? For us, once a week is good. In terms we're just, of we're Randy, yeah. Uh, to you know, and th that's not to say we only have sex once a week. No. It just says that's just saying this is our carved out time to let to like you said, to revel in it. And be um, more free. We're, yeah. we're just more free. Which, by the way, because of the pandemic, you know, there's not that many people at the hotel. So it's crazy cheap. You do, it's cheap, <laughs> which is ding, 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 a plus for us. But also you're not, you know, likely to be all up on other people, you know, right, right next door. It's nice. It's yeah. there yeah. mostly. But now that's changing, I think. It is. More people are. Yeah. They're coming in. So yeah. you have to carve out time. That's part of your plan. And then maybe there, that's where you have more discussions about, you know, erotic yeah. fulfillment. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to say shame here, right? A lot of folks carry a lot of shame around sex. Um, it can be hard to have a conversation with someone you love and respect and want you want their love and respect back. But, you, you know, talking about sex is a vulnerable act. Um, that's all part of that communication. You know, you kind of got to get to that place of being open to each other enough to, to get to that step. Um, so that's, that's, I think that's our best advice. We're not uh, experts. This is just our experience um, is to work on cultivating that within your relationship. And that starts with communication. Mm -hmm. No audio book, no story. There's nothing, there's no words that we're going to say that's going to turn someone on or off in this area. It really comes from within your relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, it starts with you, but it has to exactly. be met with, by them yes. as well. Um, and it's so it's just so sad and heartbreaking when, you know, you get the wife or the husband or boyfriend or girlfriend who's like, oh, how do I get them? 
you got to give them a place to be able to talk and maybe they're not ready. And then so you got to figure that out. You know what works best for you. It's not easy. Like that's the it is not easy, but it could be so wonderfully freeing. It is. And, you know, you you do get to learn your partner on a whole new level. And that's where I feel like, you know, we've talked about this. We we feel like even now we're even on a, a newer, higher level of understanding and communicating. It's not perfect and it's not, you know, 100% all sorted out or anything. But mm-hmm. we, over the over the years many in years. doing this show, yeah. um, what, decade. how many? We've how many, yeah. been doing this for a decade this <laughs> We're year. We're still growing. <laughs> We're still learning. And that is also key is you still have to learn. You won't have it all figured out, but you'll be better at it. Yeah. And that matters. So, um, yeah. So that's how you get your relationship to kind of be like ours, you know, because we're still, we're fumbling the ball. I mean, we are. We're still figuring it out ourselves, you know, and I'm just going to throw this in here too. Um, One of the ways we cultivate our eroticism is this show, Mm -hmm. right? That is, that is how this thing really started and and still remains. Like this is how we're doing it in, in, at least in some area, Mm -hmm. you know, of our psyche. Yeah. Um, and this show and others like it or, or audiobooks or whatever can also do that for you, even if you're not producing them the way that we are. <laughs> right. Um, so that can help you. Like, we do believe that can help you. Uh, but if there's there's got to be some understanding and, and consideration and that I think a, happens beforehand. Yeah. There's a ton of books, too, yes. that can help with this very thing. Yes. And you got to find the one that's right for you. Yeah. And And – you know, not to bring it down, but the simple fact may it may not be in the cards for well, your relationship. That just may not be how it is. And yeah, I mean, in the end, Daddy O, I still forever want to fuck you hard. Oh yeah, baby. and so and that's where it. I think that that's your that's what the glue that'll hold you together. Do you still want to fuck this person? Yeah. Do you still want them to? And not just with their body, but, you know, like... Mindfuck. And, and, and in all the good ways, <laughs> you, you have to have that. And if you don't, I, maybe you can get it back. Maybe it's not right, lost. Right, You know, nothing is forever right. unless... If you, you grew apart, you could, that also means you might be able to grow yeah. back together. Yeah. So, yeah. So... That's a good point. You can figure it out. All is not lost. It's just going to... It's it, going to take some work. It takes a little work. And desire. Work. Yeah. You got to take... You can't... It can't... It will not happen just all by itself. Right. That's, so... That's our best advice. <laughs> so now when it comes to the work part, you know, the second biggest question was, when's the next episode? No, you? that's the very first That's biggest. the first... Sorry. But that's the second thing we wanted to yeah. hit because we wanted to kind of start with you and me and all that. So the work is not easy. It's hard. And especially like with you know, Big Daddy and me, we are partners. We are work partners. And so not only do we live together, we work together. We're in each other's all of everything all day long. Um, And and that's not always easy. You know, you get sensitive to whatever. And um, but then also things, other things outside unexpected in some ways can come and like a, you know, comet freaking destroy the dinosaur population like it can just mess you up and you got to start from scratch in so many ways so you know i'm gonna kind of throw it throw the ball to you and let you you know let people know what's been going on with you because they know you know we've responded to some people yeah everything's we're good we're just going through some stuff um together Um, yes but 
specifically, there are some things that, you know, Big Daddy's learned about himself and, and we're, we're working on that together. So, um, so, hey, Big Daddy. <laughs> what you got over there? Uh, nerves. Yes. I'm a, you know, I'm just going to start. We're going to talk about, we're going to get a little, um, we're going to show our underbellies a little bit here. Um, we've been having a rough time. That's the truth of it. Um, um, boy, first of all, boy, how do I do this? It is I not, even have notes and I still, I I'm like, oh my God. Let's just start with, it is not easy to be a man, right? <laughs> like it is not well, easy know. to be a man. <laughs> There's some There's all are, kinds of stuff that, that when you're advantage. growing up yeah. is expected of you. Yeah. And you have no idea how that upbringing can fuck you up later. I think what we're driving at here. <laughs> is, you, I, I threw you a bone. Yeah. You can take it or you can, you know, gnaw on it later or whatever. <laughs> Go for it, daddy. <laughs> I think what we're driving at is men. I'm talking to men. I'm talking to everyone here about what we're I'm going to talk about myself. But I'm also hoping that turns into um, some sort of... Um, Public service announcement. We'll call it that. Um, this is to men in particular, right? Because I understand what it's like. Uh, I've just learned some very serious things about me. That's, you know, they're not serious, but they're, um, they're dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been struggling mentally for a while. Uh, for, well, basically most of my life. Uh, and it's really just kind of come to a head during this pandemic. Um, you know, it just was everything coming, kind of coming together all at once. Um, you know, it was the COVID thing. It was, uh, you know, work stuff like where I was just ineffectual, uh, completely and, and utterly. Um, uh, and, and it, it really got to a really dark place, um, these last few years in particular. Uh, and one of the reasons why I'm talking to men is because I'm also kind of talking to myself is that that was hard to accept that I was struggling. That right in and of itself was very difficult to accept and sort of act upon. Um, and I do believe that comes from the culture of men. Um, it's very difficult you know, we're all innately taught, right? I'm not saying that people went out of their way to teach you that men can't have feelings, which I do think is some of that. But I think more, moreover, it's just in our culture to men are not allowed to have these sorts of trouble and this sorts of feeling of something's not right. I need to go fix something. I need to go talk to somebody. I was not open to that idea until it got so bad. <laughs> That it was really that everything it was, was a, it was going yes. to be do go go actually take the step and actually work on it, figure out what's going on with someone who's an actual expert or something bad was going to happen and I can't I don't even know what that is like I don't know what I'm saying when I say that other than I just knew it wasn't going to get better uh, and it was going to go it was if, if if nothing happens it was going to get worse and I finally finally finally. One of the hardest things I ever did, that very first step, was find, start to reach out to therapists. And I didn't find the, the one that actually kind of clicked for me right away. It took a minute. 
So I just want to say, you know, just start somewhere, right? If you if there's some a voice in your head that's saying, like mine, there's something wrong in in here. What with you, with how you react, how you are, how you be, how you exist, how you, you know, carry a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and a lot of anxiety and a lot of just a lot of depression and just a lot of stuff. And I finally listened to that voice and I'm so glad I did. Um, And I'm very sad that I didn't do it way, way, way earlier. Um, Um. Psychological pain is real pain, and that's my message to you. Hear it. If you're in a psychological pain state, that's not bullshit. That's real. Listen to it. Uh, that's, that's your mind telling you something. You need to work on this. You need to get something going. Um, so it, we've talked a lot about how much we want to divulge here. You know, this has been, a, this is, just so you know, this has been going on for us ta- discussing what we're doing right now with talking to you right now. It has been gone back and forth between the two of us for a very long time now mm-hmm. of how much we want to do, how much we don't. Um, Let people in. It's hard. It's hard for us. Um, you know, that's not what the show is, right? That's not why you're here. Um, and we don't want to step on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, there are people that are email us quite a bit, people that we've known for a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, and that's why we're doing it here on the end of the show. The people that are here right now is our feeling are the people who are the most engaged, are the people who are actually interested in what the heck's going on with us. And so that's why it's kind of put where we're putting it. Uh, we didn't put it at the beginning of the episode or its own episode, which we both talked about doing. Um, so what we found out for me, like we've been tap dancing around this here, uh, is I have uh, ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder, uh, which is a fancy way of saying, this is another way of saying Asperger's. So uh, that Asperger's is no longer an actual diagnosis anymore. Um, it's just thrown into the Autism Spectrum Disorder. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a high-functioning autism Um. And I'm not, I probably not, I'm not going to go into the details of all that. That's easy to die. You can Google that. Y'all can figure that out real fast, um, what that is. And even as you read it, uh, you, you, you may know, but even as a, like trying to explain that to a non, to an, uh, a normative, a normative uh, uh, what do you call Neuro- that? Neuronormative norm- person, yeah. which is a fancy way of saying just a normal, a well-adjusted person, um, they they may not, even if you explain the words, they won't understand it really. Um, so I'm not going to try to really do that. Um, but that's kind of what's been happening. And with this new information um, about, it's been about six months now, um, both of our lives have dramatically improved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, there's a ton of struggle still on the way. Not struggle may be a strong word, but there's a ton of work still on the way mm-hmm. um but but we're game for it and we under you know we it's important to both of us to kind of learn how to live with this and adapt to this and we are and we're here we've been through a whole mess of stuff it took a lot of decisions like 
for me, I was as close to quitting what we're doing here as ever. Um, I honestly was kind of done at my, at my darkest points. Uh, this has definitely turned that around um, and has given me a lot more exuberance to get this done, to get this work that we do that we love so much and we think is very important. We, we know this is very important. Uh, We've always known. It's, it's, we knew this yeah. is something people need. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that's, where, that's what's happening. That's what's going on. Been, it's been a lot of decisions, but we're here, we're back, um, and, and we have a lot more episodes coming up for you, and it feels really good to tell you that. Mm-hmm. Feels good to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think that's what I had to say today. <laughs> I, I think I got it. I, you know, good job. Just, if you hear your voice, I'm not saying that you have this, right? I'm not saying... <laughs> You know, this is a fairly rare thing. It's not that rare, but it's fairly rare. Like, I'm not saying that's your problem, but I'm saying listen to that voice. Don't be uh, the classic tough guy, right? Mm-hmm. That I fall into that bullshit too, right? It's bullshit. It's bullshit. It really is. You're a human. Yep. Be human. Yep. Um, so that's my message. There you go. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good message. Don't fall for the bullshit. Be human. Get yeah. help if you need it. Listen, yeah. to you, listen to yourself. You know, I'm sure that there's lots of wives or, you know, other husbands and who said, hey, there's something going on. Give them a listen, too. Don't just quickly write that off. Because mm-hmm. very often they will see something that you're, you're stuck. You can't see it. You know, it's like with writing, you know, you've read my stuff where there's gaping holes. Like with our pariah story, you told me three things. Dude, I forgot the freaking grenades that one of the characters was holding until he brought it up. And I'm like, what the hell? You're just you got blinders on. You're stuck in your world. You cannot see outside of it until very often someone else points it out. So it's not easy to hear that, especially Mm -hmm. when it's something about your your mental being, Mm -hmm. you know, you I can, I would be very like defensive about it or whatever, you know, not feel great, <laughs> um, feel worse than you already do or whatever. Um, but you got to listen. Yeah. You really do. Um, you know, I had some stuff here to say too. I don't know how important it is. Yeah, I think it's but, as important. Okay. Um, yeah, I felt like that us. was like such a great little wrap up to it and, and so concisely done. And, and well, I think that a lot of people will benefit from that. And I if you so. want to keep listening, you can. You can turn it off now. I don't care. Yeah. You don't, yeah. The people that are here right yeah. now want to be here, <laughs> right. right? So I feel okay. Like, go for it. Like, okay. Let, let your well, stuff go. So, like, on, so for my side of things, you know, be, I have seen and witnessed, um, um, you know, the changes that had been happening with Big Daddy. And, um, you know, when he finally took that step to go get help, it was so relieving and so scary at the same time because you don't know. I, I had no idea what he would come back with come back with but the moment when cooties the therapist no like that's never even been a thing but but you know when you were taking those tests just to see like the physicality the the physical transformation that happened over you i know i didn't write that down to talk about but i think that it was very impactful for not only you but also for me for you to feel that sense of holy shit none of this is my fault right Oh my God, here's what was going on. 
that that meant so much. Like, I don't think I'll ever forget that moment. You know, we're in our room and you're just you're doing stupid, simple. On, they're not stupid, but just simple online tests to to see what's going on there with this autism spectrum stuff. And man, that was powerful. And um, we I, I'm so glad that we did that. Yeah. Um, you know, and for my side, so once you get this knowledge, this sort of like still even unpinned downable thing you know Mm -hmm. autism we know is not only a spectrum but you described it is a A globe globe. you know you and no one person is the same right right? um there's varying degrees of whatever and Um, input right it's not just autism spectrum disorder it's autism spectrum disorder mixed with uh you know uh, executive functioning difficulties and mixed with uh, your childhood traumas and mixed with your just your general genetic personalities did you want to say what like executive what that is the disorder thing Um, or do we want to just let people look that up okay (laughs) Um, well so having all this knowledge being the wife right Um, and business partner and teammate and all that stuff um I immediately went to that this mental health thing was something that we could beat. And that was a big mistake. Mental health is not, I think if you think about it in the right way, it is not something that you can beat. It is something that you have to learn to live with and um, adapt adapt to. And that's not easy. No. Um, (laughs) And so adapting your operating system. Yeah. Like you got to. Yeah. Um, and so it's not only, you know, the person who suffers from it, but it's also the partner who has to learn. You got to learn a whole new way to communicate with mental health of all varying degrees. Sure. And so this the autism one is, you know, special in its own way for that. Um, and so, you know, through these years of watching, you know, you just lose the drive, the energy, the desire, all those things, you know, the depression affecting everything. There was some trust that I had to, you know, issues that I had to kind of work with for to, you know, I'm always hoping that you'll, you you would get back up there um, and you have, but it won't be the same way. No. It's going to be different. And yeah. I have to trust that this new way, this new sort of you that's not really new, but newly understood mm-hmm. is going to be what we both want it to yeah. be. And so that is... You know, because both people have suffered through that. And so building that trust up comes with the understanding and, um, you know, the reliability. You know, that's really hard, especially, you know, when you have to be patient. And and because um, we're two different types, right? Yep. Like I'm like, boom, 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 boom. I'm going to get all this done. And you're the opposite <laughs> in so many ways, right? Um, like you have to do one thing at a time. I got a mole. You have to... <laughs> I gotta mold yeah, every little lick thing. It and squeeze gotta, it and all these things. I gotta look at it from every <laughs> angle and put it through step by step, one to five and five to one. I gotta go through it. It's, yeah. it's a different way of thinking. And it, the thinking doesn't stop, like, right? No. You just cycle through, like, this variation, yes. this variation. You're kind of like Bill Gates, like, running through all. Oh, I wish the I was like, kind of like Bill Gates. <laughs> that no, was a I am really not kind of like Bill Gates. <laughs> you are in the sense that you're always thinking and always problem solving and. But it can lock you up. Oh, totally. That's so, exactly what happens. You know, and that's hard for someone like me who's like, well, no, you just write these things down on your list and then boom, that's done. I did it. Boom. That one's done. That, Like I, that's easier for me. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I have to learn to 
way better at being patient with letting you know you I gotta step back <laughs> don't mama don't mama it <laughs> well and I would patient I think is a, is is a place to start but I, I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to require patience as much as just a new understanding of yeah. how I work and yes. how to how how to get the most out of how I think which has po- benefits right there are benefits mm-hmm. I notice things that maybe other people don't notice yeah. right it goes like there's something about autism where whatever is sort of diminished, you sort of can make it up on the other end. Yeah, other other, other things, things are turned way up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm I'm very decent at um, patterns. I'm very decent at uh, sort of visual things. I'm very uh, I I just notice things that maybe other people don't quite pick up on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that can work in our benefit. I think that is one of the elements of what makes our show so different. I think is this. What's missing in this Something. area? Yeah. Well, we can totally do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it all takes work. That's the next thing on my list yeah. is this all takes work. Um, and educating yourself, you know, um, you have to be able to communicate, which means you have to – we are learning new words. We're learning new language, and that's on both sides. You know, you'll come home and from like a – a session and, you know, bring new details to light, new words, new vocabulary, new ideas. And so I'm learning this and, you know, we're both going to, we're both going to get there. Um, and you have to learn, you got to listen. So you got to be able to talk it and then you got to be able to hear it. And it's really hard sometimes yeah. when you're trying to explain something to me and I'm like, oh yeah, it's this. And then you're like, no, mm-hmm. but then where, where you we're, we're still kind of fixing that we're still working on perfecting that. I don't know if it'll ever be perfect, right? But getting better at that. Yeah. Um, more clear and understood. Um, you know, and you, you need breaks because all of this work is exhausting, not yeah. only for you, but also for me. Yeah. You know, because we're also trying to still raise a family. We're also still trying to do this pay the show bills. <laughs> and write really cool, fun, sexy stories and pay the bills and take the dogs for a walk and, you know, all these things. Um, so you have to, this is also where the patience comes in. You have to be patient with yourself. Yeah, that's true. And I agree with that. Like there is a, that's something I've learned with myself through this is patience with and myself. not be so hard on yeah. yourself i would beat the hell out of myself oh my god you were you know we've always said this we're our own worst critic yeah mm-hmm. yeah but i'm way bad oh I'm yeah bad. yeah and that's changing you're that. getting better yes changing that dialogue in my own mind is not something that comes overnight <laughs> um yeah those are long built habits yeah right yeah since um, i was a child since i was a child mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Like that's the biggest, hardest thing is you can't, and that what took us so long for us to, to, to just get here where we're talking to you about this right now is the, the mourning process of 46 years of struggling in these areas yeah, and not having any clue, not having any clue that this is happening. It's unmooring. It is unmooring. Your whole life gets all slippery. Fuck, what? <laughs> that's that comment. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's scary. So that's yeah. the other little point of fact that I put in here is it's it's scary. Like you're asking yourself, can I actually do this? My significant other is suffering and you're powerless in a way. Mm-hmm. Like you're, I can hold you. I can tell you all the Which sweet helps. words. Right. But uh, like I, you still feel in you feel ineffective in yeah. so many ways. There's like I'm, a... yeah. So um, 
you're asking yourself, can I do this? Can I do this? You're getting exhausted by some, you know, a month of whatever, you know, something blows something up emotionally. And so you have to, you got to deal with this and then get back on track to that forward momentum that you were going on on healing and learning and being better and all these things. And it's scary to go, oh my gosh, can I continue to do this? Um, and can I do it well, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, cause Especially nobody's you. Perfect. That's so important to you. Right. You want to be the best at everything you do. Yes. <laughs> cause, cause, I mean, we could talk about my childhood cause <laughs> I got beat if I was short of perfect. No, I, I, I have a lot of pride in what I do yeah. and, you know, I, part of it is you just, it hurts so much to see your significant other hurting and, you know, even though they're getting help, even though you know you're going through the right thing, and even though all that hurts, it's still, you're on the other side. And for some reason, you know, it is almost not harder, but in a way, kind of, like, you're going through it, and I'm here going, fuck, I, I really wish it was me so that you didn't have to have this burden. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I understand. I feel, I would feel the same way. I'm sure of that. You know, in, in mental health, we've talked about this before, It we're still learning it, you know, and, and the science community, the, the medical field, we're still learning. It's still so big. Um, and this is something, all of this stuff, you know, back in the day, as we were kids, we're like, ooh, you know, you would poke fun. Not me specifically, but kids would make fun of kids with whatever mental yep. disorder they had. And mental health, along with sex, Yep. We're missing. And so now we're learning, fuck, we fucked that all up as a society and as a culture. And now, you know, like I said. And humanity in general, right? right? It's not just one culture. It's a lot of cultures. We've tried, right, and failed. But that's how you learn. You learn from your failings, right? Um, So there is no pill for Asperger's. Right. We can give you a pill for a broken bone, but... Mm -hmm. Or depression. Or depression or other often, things, yeah. right? Like there's um, – but you don't have to take a pill, like right? Like you can choose not to and choose to do, um, you know, other methods of I – mean, we're, we we're speaking way out Sorry. of our depth here. <laughs> like, right. yeah. yeah. But, but when it comes down to it, I feel like – and here's where I – so I wrote at the beginning. Like this mental health thing was like the Kobayashi Maru. To me, I thought it was something I could beat. It was just a test I had to beat. What and is for the those of you who are familiar with Star Trek, know that this ship, the Kobayashi Maru, was in this like a neutral zone um, where like the Federation was not allowed to go in. And I think Klingons were not allowed to go in, but Klingons were there and they had surrounded, I think, this ship, the Kobayashi Maru. And so you're in another ship, and this is the test. You're in this ship left with the decision do I go in and rescue them? And break the rules and not know the outcome. We're all going to die, maybe. Um, or turn around and leave and just let that Kobayashi Maru sit there and die and do nothing. Um, and So either way, you lose. So either way, you lose. If you're trying to win, if you're trying to beat it, you cannot beat it. And that's what I was doing. I was doing the James Kirk thing. Like, how can I cheat the? How can I just fix this and make it better and win Yeah. for us? I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And that was a hard realization as the wife of you. Um, <laughs> it's so you cannot fix so, this. I cannot James T. Kirk this shit. Um, but it is also like the Kobayashi Maru in that 
this mental health thing really has tested our character. And that's what Spock's thing was with this test that he does. I think he was the one who designed this. This is a test of your character. What choices are you going to make? When it's impossible choices. When, it's an Im- all, when it feels like it's an impossible decision yeah. to make. Um, it, That's very much how we feel and have felt. Yeah. This is impossible shit. <laughs> Stop thinking of it as a, I'm going to beat this, I'm yeah. going to win this, I'm going to fix this. Yeah. You got to work with it. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to... You yeah. live with it and all that. So um, so that's really, you know, not to bring anybody down, but really just to let people in to understand what we've been trudging through. Um, and f- f- we're still here. We still want this. I still want to, you know, fuck you, silly. Um, <laughs> and have me too, you, baby. And have you fuck me, silly. <laughs> um, and and that's that's how you can get your relationship back to where it was or where you would like it to be is you got to work together. It's going to be hard maybe, but you can do it. You can do it. We're here to tell you, you can do it if you want it bad enough. Yeah. Um, And episodes are coming. We've got, we've got what? 12, 13, counting this one, I think, right? Wow. Counting one little tiny one that I wrote. 13. No, that would be 14. Okay. So we may have up to 14 coming out. Bang, 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 bang. Yeah. So So, buckle in. We have episodes. We that's how good we are right now. <laughs> that's how back on track we are. Yes. So thank you for every like we want you to also I want to draw a point to the emails. I I know, you know, Rose or or myself, we can't we can't couldn't have answered all that. Yeah. Um, but we heard it and we appreciate it. All the, the nice just the fact that she you might even be asking when's the next episode. That's that says something to us. Mm-hmm. Right. But then there was also lots of lovely things of like, this is the best show ever. This changed my whole relationship or this got me to try something I would never think about trying. And wow, what a life I have now. Like we would get that type of thing. And it has meant everything. It has kept us here. Yeah. That you have kept us here. And so we, you know, it's a symbiotic thing. We would like to keep you where you want or or help you where you want to go. with, with eroticism. Cult, by cultivating eroticism yeah. with each other. Yeah. Um, or, or yourself. Like being comfortable within yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. hard to do for a lot of folks. Yes, you know, raising, is. even raising my hand here. Both right? of us. We've been doing this for a decade. <laughs> we still have, we still have issues. We still have hangups. We still have shame wrapped around sex because of all the experiences of growing up. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just how it is. Yep. So. Nobody's perfect, but. Yeah. Gosh darn it! You can still, you can still get there. Yeah, you can still get to a better place yeah. and a, a very sexy, erotic place. So keep yeah, working on it. Um, and do and, it naked. We're totally naked. And, <laughs> and every time you hear us talking, we are naked. <laughs> we might even be fucking. Oh, oh, um, wow! <laughs> that just threw me. But uh, you know, um, so you know, um, thank you. And we we really do honestly. Love you, the listenership that we've had over yeah. these years. Podcast people um, are the best people. They really are. And um, it, you've helped us grow. And so, you know, we hope to help you grow, to continue to grow. You mm-hmm. know, it doesn't stop. So yeah. keep on keeping on, man. And uh, we're going to get through this freaking pandemic, man. Oh, I know. <laughs> we're going to get to get out of the house <laughs> yeah. and do all the things. So, um 
hang in there, you guys. And when in doubt, just say, God damn it, I love you. I like you. God damn and it, I, I love still you. want you. Aww. You know, do that. Hold hands. Oh, you're you such a it? sweet lady. Oh, you're such a sweet man. Um, so, yeah, there you go, Lord listeners. We love you, and uh, we'll see you soon. Later. I'm good. That was fun. That was, I mean, I don't know about fun, but. <laughs> it was fun. I'm smiling. You're. I don't mind these smiling. headphones. It's a little complicated to get on, but I don't mind them. They sound fine. Honestly, so okay, I, but it was. I heard the tininess that you're talking about, but it wasn't until I actually shoved them all the way in, like you said. Okay, then then all of a sudden it got it's, it's not quite as rich as these, but I mean, there's a reason for that. There's a big magnet and a big diaphragm, so it can't, it just simply can't create that level of deep bass. Um, but I think if you were to actually, I think that's gonna help Fuck you. Fuck my ear holes yeah. with them. Okay, I hate that. You know how I am about well, my you ears. Me too. I'm the same way. Alrighty. Good job. Thank you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I know. But we already did this morning. And now I have to do things. Me? I I already did you. We're gonna do it again.